Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I'm Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by uh, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. And, boys, we have, uh, we have a lot to cover today. We have another uh, entirely listener-generated uh, podcast. So if you're a listener, uh, number one, we thank you. Number two, come out to Live in Louisville uh, the weekend of October 23rd, and we will have some T-shirts, uh, some missional wear-generated T-shirts, and we'll also have burlap sacks. Um, I, at least I hope we'll have burlap sacks. Maybe possibly, I'm speaking possibly burlap t-shirts. We're gonna have I'm a lot of burlap. Out of turn. I would love a burlap t-shirt. We're gonna have burlap deposit slips too, if you want to give to our program. And and handcrafted leather tracks, gospel tracks mm-hmm. that will cost eighty six dollars a piece, mm-hmm. but will be worth every penny. Uh, boys, we have some business to do. Speaking of business, uh, with a sponsor. So, pipe, why don't you tell uh, tell our good listeners about. Uh, Moody Press and what they're uh, what they're selling this week, and then we'll get into this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Last episode we talked about how we needed to keep Moody Publishers on the hook. We couldn't just let them off easy and be too thankful for their efforts. And they came through again with another uh, another episode sponsorship for us. They are highlighting the book Life in Community: Joining Together to Display the Gospel by Dustin Willis. Uh, <clears throat> Dustin. Uh, oversees a lot of the work that the North American Mission Board does, so it's a ton of church planting, a um, ton of their church planting efforts and things like that. The SEND conference falls under his responsibilities. He's a really good guy. Uh, this book's been out for a little while, maybe a year, year and a half, but it takes a really good look at how the gospel is displayed uniquely when Christians live in community instead of just sort of, we think of sharing the gospel as talking to another person, but he he draws out the idea of how the gospel is shown in how you know in forgiveness, in friendship, in generosity, in caring for others, <clears throat> in support for people, in conflict resolution, all these different things, and that can only happen in a in a community context. And then he gives some some really good helpful tips for how people can do that, and not just like the typical small group kind of thing, but like in their neighborhood and opening homes and just being a good neighbor and and uh, being part of your community, not just sort of a, a cloistered Christian community. It's got a six week group study in it, so if you wanted to go through it with a group of of uh, a group from church, a small group, community group, missional community, whatever it is you call yours, uh, you can do that. <clears throat> it's a really practical book, but draws out a lot of rich truths. So check that out. It is called Life and Community: Joining Together to Display the Gospel by Dustin Willis, uh, published by Moody Publishers. And again, thank you to them for sponsoring the podcast for another episode boys you know how i know i'm getting older and it kind of bums me out there's guys named dustin doing books you know what i mean <laughs> and he's like our age though he's, is he he's, yeah he's he's not uh, he, i think he's older than i am which makes wow. him closer to your age right yeah. probably mm-hmm. i mean he's he's probably mid to late 30s so All right. yeah i don't know big R. There, yeah there's just a sense of I don't yeah. know. I'm moving. I'm moving through this thing a little bit. You know, yeah, what there I mean? was there was nobody named Dustin in my graduating class. I mean, to be is fair, what you're saying. to be yeah. fair, you yeah. guys are named Theodore and Ronald, so it's not like you have uh, <laughs> not like you have young guy names. We've got vintage names. That's true. No, we're I mean, vintage. You have retro time, names. Timeless names. Like you, there's a lot of substance to those names, but uh, but picking on somebody else for their name doesn't seem fair. And this is coming from somebody with a, a name that's very easy to pick on. I know. I just feel like Dustin was a name that was invented in like 1982. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah. There were some Dustins in my town, but they were like a few years behind me in school. So how yeah. do you guys feel about the trend of giving kids last names as first names now? Oh, that's huge down here. I mean, well, and maybe I don't, it's just I don't really have any room to talk on that one, unfortunately. 
Oh, really? Well, I mean, you know, I wanted. Dude, those- why your kids? Your kids called Beth. I mean. That's oh, Mike, I was thinking of me. I have two first names, but yeah, I guess what no, you're no, saying. No, no, but, is- like, oh. but like the, naming your kid like Cooper or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. Anderson or like there's all these different – there's these last names that are now first names. And I'm like, what, when did we just decide that name construct doesn't matter anymore? Like you could be named Cooper Cooper or something right. like <laughs> that. This is really confusing to me. You actually could be named Piper Piper too. That's interesting. That's Especially true. Dude, that's a thing. Say, Piper yeah. tends to be a girl's name I think. It is, yeah. Which really- there's no – it confuses people when, like when I when I order uh, I order at Starbucks or something and they ask for my name I never tell them Barnabas because they can't spell Tim so yeah. uh, so I, I tell them Piper and they so look you tell at them me Piper funny. they're expecting like a fourteen year old girl to come I, exactly up. they're like oh is that for your daughter or your cousin or something no it's Pipe, for that's me. so interesting because I always give my last name too I don't know if that's just like an old school thing to do but I never give my first name because whenever I say Ronnie it always comes out as Robert or Donnie which I don't really care about but I yeah that's why I always go last name you know. But I'm not, interesting. I'm sure they, I, Starbucks has a gift for butchering names. I'm sure they can butcher Martin as well. They call you like Maddie or something like that. You know, it's weird, man. Like we got to get into this on another podcast, but the whole like what people are naming their kids thing. And I know that's always going to be a generational thing, but I f- feel like it's like the last bastion for like creativeness for non-creatives. And that's how yeah. the one oh, yeah. way they get creative is by like naming their kid like Oogly Gagoogly, you know, is Smith. It, is, <laughs> it, know? is it creative if you just go look online for creative baby names? Like you Google creative <laughs> baby names and you're like, oh, Breck. Like, no, but that, I just, but I just that's feel the like the name it's, of a hockey player from 1994 with who right. wears a sweater over his shoulder. Sorry, and I and I always feel like it's people you talk to, and it's like it's not to say anything bad about them. It's just like they're not creative types. And then you listen to the name of their kid, and you go, "Oh, his name's Trevor." Like I don't even know—is that an object? Like I don't even know what that name means. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you just think, like, "Well, okay, that's interesting." That the one thing in your life that came out creative is your kid. Yeah, dude, it's sort of like they it's their one chance to shine, you know? Of course, they feel like then there's my parents who just mind the Bible for they're like, "Huh, I wonder which names nobody's ever used for good reason." How about Barnabas? Good. Let's slap that <laughs> on a kid. Dude, what are it'll, the other it'll make what him other, resilient? <laughs> what are the uh, what are your brother's names? Speak of that. <laughs> uh, my oldest brother is Karsten, which is not a biblical name, but he was born in Germany when my yeah. dad was doing doctor work and it's like a German derivative for the name Christian. Okay. So he's starting baseline. We got Christian kids here. Yeah. That's kind of arty. That's arty. I then there's, I mean, uh, then there's then there's Ben or Benjamin, okay. which is not an uncommon name, but decidedly biblical. Then there's Abraham. Sure, Abe. Um, Good old honest Abe. I don't yep. think he enjoys being called Abe. Uh, I'm, I'm he, certain he, he doesn't beat the Jesus out of me for it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then there's my then there's me, and then my little sister is Talitha, which. She rivals me for obscure biblical names because it's not even a name. It's a term of affection used one time in the Bible when Jesus raises the little girl from the dead. That's right. Wow. So she and I, she and I, my, 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 if my parents had decided to adopt another kid, they would have named him like Maher Shalal Hashbaz or something like that and gone like <laughs> straight into First Chronicles uh, no, list, you know, list they're of names name and just pulled one out. They're going to name him Zondervan for a Bible <laughs> distributor, you know. That's right. Yeah. Tyndale. <laughs> Piper, you're, so Piper. you're so obscure. You're so obscure. So obscure. So thoughtful. Crossway Piper. <laughs> exactly. Holman uh, Piper. Actually, yeah. obviously, his name would be Lifeway, but we don't have to get into that right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we should sell the naming rights to our kids. You know, <laughs> that's a genius. I wonder. If, we're we're the like, ultimate business. Is man. that like an annual renewed lease or a one-time fee thing? 
Because I'm, yeah, I'm into like the stable ongoing income. That's yeah. up to us to make it whatever we want. Ooh. It's the one thing we have control over was naming our kids. I agree. Now, guys, speaking of naming, and this, this, is, this is nutty to me. Okay, so this, this is topic number one. But uh, and, and again, I'm not on Twitter, uh, whatever, but I'm, I'm aware of what goes on um, somewhat. And so my question is, what's the deal with all these fictional Calvinist characters uh, in the Twitter sphere? All right. So you got like Calvinist Batman, Calvinist Chewbacca, Calvinist Bruce Wayne. You know, I don't know. Calvinist. uh, There's like like Calvinist obscure Hobbit characters. Yeah, dude. Judas Priest. What's up with this? (laughs) Like, is this funny? Is it is it is it clever? I don't read these. Is it is it one person doing all of them? Is it one person doing all of them? Like what? What? What's going on here? Like what itch is that scratching? Can you know what I'm saying? Could Chewbacca be a Calvinist? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's some theological questions here as well. Right. I feel right. like Bruce Wayne was probably not a great Calvinist because he had lots of money, and we all know that Calvinists feel guilty about having lots of money. Right. So, and he didn't have a huge family to support either, except so for all the rich selfish. Calvinists out there. Yeah. We except don't, for what? Yeah, we don't point out hypocrisies. That's not what we do. Yeah. Except for all the rich. Calvinist celebrities out there. Other than them, there are yeah, no money them. in this tribe. No money in exactly. this tribe at all. Yeah, Bruce Wayne was even... kind of miserable though, and, and maudlin. That would sort of lend itself. No, I, oh man, I think Bruce Wayne was totally reformed. Nobody can be that miserable and angry without being, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> absolutely. You know. Yeah, I don't see him going to Craig Gorshell's church. You know, in between like you know jaunts out into Gotham at you know two a.m. You know, I don't. I don't he was see... doing CrossFit with our boy Stephen Furtick. How do you think he got so fit? <laughs> Hanging off of buildings and swinging around. You know what? Let's just say it right now, man. He's he's complex. Bruce he's Wayne is complex. He's multifaceted. He's you a know. guy that would say, you know, I'm a four point guy. I'm a four pointer. Yeah. You know that would yeah. be that I'm would four be four and a half pointer. I'm gonna suss it out for you sometime. Right. Exactly. Not right now because I'm sad. I'm miserable. <laughs> right. I'm moping in my huge mansion alone. Well, with Alfred. Um, yeah. Why are there not um, like semi Pelagian Batmans? Yeah. Is it because Batman was taken? Or, like, do other people not self-define as something as much as Calvinists do? I know they don't self-define as much as Calvinists do. But, yeah, the, the whole thing Why is there not, like, Lutheran Batman? You know? Yeah, there, I mean, there are some Baptist ones out there, too. But those are – those those tend to be, like, Baptist accounts as opposed – like, so they're, there's, like, Baptist news or whatever. But they don't take mm. on fictional – like, the fictional character thing just befuddles me. Well, Pipe, what are they like? Okay, what do they post? Like, for instance, like, what does Calvinist Batman even say? What does he say? Well, Calvinist Batman has a podcast, and he's uh, unlike the real Batman. He actually will reveal his real identity if, uh, it, on occasion, I met him at the Gospel Coalition because because it's kind of like Comic Con for Reformed people. Um, <laughs> Was he dressed as Batman? If only. Well, would you just tell Jared Wilson to use his own name every once in a while, man? Yeah, I mean, on. seriously, he might insane. run. He might run half a dozen of these accounts. Um, but wait, what are you guys saying? He he doesn't like Twitter. Jared Wilson? No, he never tweets. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> he, he doesn't does, spend his whole day he avoids, on Twitter. He avoids controversy on Twitter like the plague, too. Absolutely. Um, but no, like I, I, so so I've the Calvinist Batman one. He's he's taken that. I mean, I don't, it's not a persona at this point as much as it is just like a name. It kind of has the Batman thing. I think has sort of lost its meaning because he has he has a podcast. He has whatever he interviews people about. I mean, he it's it's pretty reformed, but he interviews about books and things like that. I've been on the podcast. He's a he's a good dude. The other ones are just sort of like random people who have claimed an alter ego and slapped Calvinist on the front, but they 
the Chewbacca one actually tweets as Chewbacca. Like, there's a lot of growling in the tweets. Mm. <laughs> it's really unusual. Mm. Uh, I'm afraid to say too many mean things about him because he listens to the podcast. I'm assuming it's a he could be a she. Probably shouldn't be mm. sexist. Um, but uh, yeah, I it's don't, not, I don't it's quite get it. She. It's not a she. Are we just assuming that women have more sense than this? All the women are just yes. shaking their heads, being like. Yes, it's, it's not it's a sheet. It's definitely not it's a It's not sexist. It's just respectful. Okay. Yeah. You know, good, good. That's that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> although there was the happy Chewbacca lady uh, who, who, oh, got her, right. who got her kid's college paid for by wearing a mask and laughing for seven minutes on camera. So, um, You mean most brilliant businesswoman that maybe has ever existed in the history of mankind? Again, just being yeah. respectful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm just so confused by Calvinist Batman and all that stuff. I just don't even like. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. I, there's so what are, Calvinist question marks floating over my head right hit now. Hit us up on Twitter uh, at the ha- at Happy Rant Pod and tell us why in the world you you use an alter ego and slap Calvinist on the front. Is it because well, you're I'm afraid right. to be Calvinist under your own name? That, maybe that's it. Maybe we should oh, accuse could, them of being cowards. And Calvinist that, that will, Bill. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Calvinist Bill. It doesn't exactly have the same ring to it. Maybe it? Calvinist Chewbacca is, is somebody who is like he's the executive pastor at a super Arminian church, and he's afraid to uh, to out himself, so he has to, to claim an alter ego. That's a brilliant point. Calvinist Chewbacca could be that lady that did all the laughing in the car too. <laughs> Dude, How gonna, epic would say that? some? No, she was way too happy to be Calvinist. We covered this already. That's true. I've got I some Calvinist Twitter personas that I would like to see. I'd like to see a Calvinist Mike Tyson. Yes, you know, yeah, nobody's stopping you from doing that, Big T. I mean, no, I'm not going to create it. I, just, I want someone else to do it. That's yours for the taking. I want Calvinist Mike Tyson. I want to see like a Calvinist, uh, like like Tupac or Calvinist Fifty Cent. You know, kind of melding the 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 rap persona and uh, and Calvin. Calvinist Kanye could start every tweet with Calvinist. I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. I love it. I love it. Okay. How about so, a Calvinist? How about a Calvinist Ted Cluck? How about that, Big T? <laughs> How about just Ted Cluck? Get Ted on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. At Ted Cluck. At Promoting Calvin another Ted thing. Cluck. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Guys, let's, uh, let, let's transition um, to something equally vapid and stupid, <laughs> uh, and that is the show The Bachelor. Um, a reader had a great question, which is why do people like The Bachelor? Uh, so uh, – one one question just to start. Are you guys frequenters of The Bachelor? Do you watch these shows? Um, uh, that was a little vibrato right there for you, boys. Um, like- the, the answer is no for me. Like I, I think like back in the old days of it, like whatever that was, like 47 years ago when they started it. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think I caught like half a season and I don't remember why. And I remember just being angry the whole, and there's the Calvinist thing. I just remember yes. being like angry the whole time while I was watching it. But like, it was just so baffling to me. Like, like the level, like the level of just complete ridiculousness slash stupidity just like confounded me even beyond mm-hmm other like reality shows. You know what I mean? I feel like that right. one was just, why doesn't anybody have any respect? It's just unbelievable mm-hmm. to me. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't know. I have watched probably two episodes and it has been since, yeah, whatever that same era was, whenever it first started around the time Survivor started, mm-hmm. I think was also when this started. So we're talking a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but yeah, I just, my, my thought was always just like it 
Because I think when it started, it was kind of in the heyday of reality TV. And so people still took the word reality seriously at that point. And they were like, wow, this is stuff you've never seen anywhere else. Look at like this is real drama, not realizing that the producers were way ahead of him and it was all contrived nonsense. But but now I just look at it and I, I think people watch for one of two reasons. There is still the crowd who really wants somebody to fall in love. And they mm-hmm. think that whatever's happening on screen is actually falling in love. Pity upon those people for being suckers. Um, then there's the crowd who watches it because they like watching train wrecks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's like the same people who watch funniest home videos because they like nut shots. And <laughs> uh, it's but but like but like the romantic version of a nut shot. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's that's what uh, that's what I I mean because because I I have friends who I work with who like live tweet the Bachelor and Bachelorette and they basically make fun of it the whole time. Like they're not drawn into the drama because they have any empathy for the people. But, yeah, pipe. That's but they're, but they're totally now. into the show. It's like that's kind of become a thing. Yeah, it's like, like let's make fun tweeting. of the Bachelor. It's yeah. like hate tweeting, but they but they love the show. So it's not like hate watching. It's mock watching, but they love to mock it. It's this really strange thing. That's yeah, kind of really what's coming on Twitter. That's kind of what's come out of it because I got friends that have done that too where they say, okay, you know what this means, right? The new, the new uh, season of The Bachelor means that we're going to be like you know, doing all of our mocking tweeting like kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it's like weird that that's become a thing that's sort of risen out of that. And I it's love a romantic to, I version love- of a nut shot. <laughs> <laughs> Until I- next time, folks. Rachel the Hell Evans. <laughs> I love to mock stuff as much or more than anybody, but I can't think of anything that I engage in purely for the sake of mocking it mocking is just a thing that happens when something dumb goes on like dude the mocking it has to be organic yeah you know what i mean like you have to stumble into the opportunity and go oh wow that joke just wrote itself in my twitter account because that's what makes it funny yeah if you log onto twitter and you go i'm gonna be funny now for the next half hour while i watch the bachelor you're not gonna be funny funny. yeah yeah you're not gonna be funny it's like jared wilson tweeting nfl games what are you eating ted uh, just a granola bar. I got hungry. Sorry, guys. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Just keeping it real. Yeah. Just masticating into the microphone. Too My bad. What, yeah. kind of, wow. what kind of granola bar? Is it like one of those uh, Nature Valley one that crumbles everywhere or is it a Dude, no, it's, I, I don't eat the crumbly ones. It's, uh, it's one of the ones that's like dipped in chocolate. So it's basically a candy bar. It's a candy bar. I'm trying to write down the word masticating for Sundays. Hold on, guys. Don't, <laughs> do, not, do not misspell that. You will get yourself in all sorts of trouble. I realize that. Okay. Uh, what's our next topic, Big T? <laughs> Baby, the last topic. Last topic is uh, what is Should your book writing masticating? process? <laughs> Are you guys ready to be serious here? Uh, okay. uh, fine. Come on, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's uh, let's raise the level of discourse here on the oh, program. Man. I had somebody ask me that the other day. I had somebody sit down with me and they said, okay. And they basically laid out everything they thought it was going to be. Like, so they, they took like 12 minutes to tell me what they thought my book writing process was. Yeah. And I literally, I literally got to the end of it and I said, well, it's actually nothing like that. Um, in Dude, fact, and, but yeah. good hustle, good hustle. And the whole point of the coffee was they wanted an introduction to your agent. Right, and pretty much. And was- <laughs> in a discussion of your book writing process. That was part of it. And it was like, so tell me about how you do your outline. And then there's this. And then, then you come back to this. And then wh- when you do research, obviously he's never heard this program because he wouldn't have mentioned the word research. And yeah. uh, so we got to the end of it. And I was like, well, here's the deal, pal. I go, it's nothing <laughs> like that at all. Not even close. No. Okay, so for me, okay, so for me, yeah. um, I'm sort of a uh, – 
you know, I'm a little more of a stream of consciousness kind of a writer. So what I do is I, I figure out sort of the overall topic or chapter or, or theme, and I just start writing. Is like, that, I don't, where, where does the opium come in? Well, I mean, that's before, but like okay. I just I, I start writing and I start writing and I just start getting just content or whatever you want to call it down on the page. And then really all the uh, all the all the all the magic happens during the editing process for me. But I don't do outlines. I don't I don't get that intricate with it. It has to just sort of be in the moment, kind of what's going on. And then um, and then I go back and add more of the uh, how do you, uh, more specific. How do you content. handle the book proposal process where they say we need an outline? You just, yeah, so, do you just make one up and then ignore it when you're actually writing? Yeah, I mean, you know, because really there, it's just to kind of give sort of a – I just look at book proposals as being sort of the general idea. So I just sort of – I just sort of get through that part and say this is kind of what I think directionally it could be or it sort of – doing book proposals. Yeah, for me it's kind of a it, – you know, it's, it's sort of one of those, you know, necessary – necessary evils and then um but i mean it gives you a little it gives you a little a structure but at the same time yeah it's just not how my mind works you know but that's just that's just me what about you pud um well i feel the same way as ted about book proposals i hate them um i feel like now once you've been published a book proposal becomes even less meaningful because mm-hmm. you know people in the industry you can just talk to somebody you can talk through your idea they they will know what you're going to write before you ever write a book proposal that's for the publisher's sake to have so they can take it to their marketing people and stuff like that and they can kind of build a business case for it it's essentially a business proposal not a book proposal it's true um, so for all of you writers who are who think that book writing is this wonderful creative process. Uh, it's half business proposal until you actually, you know, for, for a while. And, and it's kind of crappy in that way. Um, but the actual book writing process is, uh, whatever the idea is, you know, I, I, I keep a rolling list of potential ideas, most of which are half baked and will never turn into anything. But then I, you know, occasionally I'll land on one that I look at and I go, there, there might be something there. And that's when I kind of start doing the outlining process because I have to see if I can if there's enough there to get thirty fifty thousand words out of it, um, and I'll and I'll outline it because because I need some sort of framework to work within. But the outline is really general. It's just sort of taking it block by block. So it's sort of like yeah. I'm going to look at this, look at it from this angle, look at it from this angle, take this aspect, this application, whatever. Uh, the two books that I've, well, the three books that I've done, one of which has doesn't come out for a few more months. Um, they're all kind of idea books. And so maybe it would be different if I was writing stories. Um, you know, Ted has done more kind of journalistic story writing kind of mm-hmm. books and maybe the process for that is different. I'm sure there's more research and interview and things like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't do, I don't like research. I hate research and, uh, I don't do a ton for my books because, the well, <laughs> I I gloss it under the under the banner of uh, I don't want outside influences changing how I view this. Mm. You know, I kind of I want to bring my perspective because otherwise, why am I writing this? And I'm sure. never impressed with a book where they quote a ton of different people's perspectives. Yeah, because I'm like that's just a collection of stuff. Like that's I came here because I wanted the author's perspective on this. Um, but that might also just be laziness on my part. I don't know. Um. But yeah, so I and then and then the writing process itself, I tend to do seventy percent of the writing in the last month before the due date. Yeah, um, so you're a, you're a deadline guy. I'm kind of yeah. like that too. I do my best writing under pressure. I, it's I have a really hard time honing in and really kind of clearing my mind and focusing on the project at hand. 
uh, unless I have something looming. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I try to write, you know, if I have nine months to write a book, I'll write three chapters over seven months and, you know, six to six to nine chapters over the last two months. Yeah. Just just because that's, I don't know, that's how I focus best. It's when I can carve out time. And then, yeah, I just take it in kind of, I take it in like three to five hour blocks. I can't write for more than about four or five hours without my brain melting. So. Now let me. Uh, that's good. Now let me, Big T. If it's okay, man. If it's if it's all good with you, I'd like to set up your piece in this a little bit because set it up, um, because you know for the listeners that don't know, you know, me and Ted have written uh, two books together. We have a new one coming out July seventeenth called The Bridezilla of Christ. Now, Ted is a fascinating writer to me, and I think one of the stories I think that's worth telling about our current book that's coming out is that. <laughs> When I pitched, uh, when I pitched the idea to Big T, which was in like a little coffee shop here in, uh, in my hometown of, of Ash, Ashland, Ohio. Um, it was one like of the, six years ago, it feels like. It was, yeah, it was literally, it was about, it was about yeah. two years ago. I pitched him the idea. He liked it. And before I knew it, I'm telling him all about it. And Ted is just clicking away, you know, on his, on his lap tee. And, uh, before I knew it, you know, we talked it through. He was asking questions. I was giving him kind of the concept, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And about an hour and a half later, uh, Big T goes, okay, I have the first chapter done. (laughs) And, uh, and he, he literally, he, he reads it out. He kind of set up the whole premise of the book in it. Um, I thought it was brilliant and it literally is, it became almost unedited from that point, the first chapter of the book, right? Big T. Yeah. It did, baby. Yeah, thanks for that setup. Yeah, I, I think is that the one about uh, is that the one about the beige men? That's uh, the prologue. That's oh, that's the, the okay. This, that's this the is prologue. actually chapter one. Chapter one. Okay, proper. gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I remember reading that phrase and I thought it was genius. So it stood out <laughs> in my mind. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, that's it, Big R. I'm a I'm definitely probably probably a lot like you, like just a strike while the iron's hot kind of guy. So uh, if I find myself kind of inspired or talking with somebody who's interesting. You know, I, I just kind of let the story write itself. And I, and I think for me, like, you know, I'm, I'm writing in my head all the time, like, you know, in the shower, driving the car, whatever, such that when I finally get to the lap tee, like I sort of have it the way I want it in my mind and, um, I can just put it on paper. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big outliner. Uh, I don't do a lot of outlining, you know, like pipe said, I tend to be more sort of journalistic in my approach in that, you know, I'm talking to people and, and kind of thinking more in terms of scenes and characters, I think in my, in my writing than, you know, you're kind of of, a, you're kind of an observer, big T. Would you, would you say that's accurate? Dude, I think that's totally accurate. That's one of the things I love the most about writing actually is the, the, the observing that you have to do, you know, so being, being able to go, and I tell this to my students, you know, being the guy who can go into a room and, and, pick out the interesting thing or the interesting person and, and just to be, to be a good watcher and listener and, and be aware of what makes for a good story. You know, I think, um, those are the things that, that kind of turn me on about writing or that make it exciting. So, uh, those are also the things that tend to kind of drive my, my process. So yeah, I hate doing the book prop. Um, that's a totally, you know, I forget if it's left brain, right brain, whatever, but that's the, that's the ana- analytical like business brain that has the, to, I think that's the left brain. I think it's the left brain. Yeah. That's the one that has to put the, the book prop together. And I, I tend to be more right brained in my, in my approach to actually doing the writing. Yeah. And, and like for me, a book proposal is not super hard to do because I've worked in marketing and a bunch. Yeah. So it just, but it's, but it is switching from, it, it has no bearing whatsoever on the book writing itself. 
It exactly. Is, it yeah. is purely a proposal on how can we sell this thing. Well, it's a it's, sales document yeah. for salespeople. You know, you're not yeah. writing yeah. for the actual audience and you're not even really writing for the editor. You're writing so that the editor can take this to like you know, the, the sales guys around the table right. figure out how many copies they can sell. All right. So speaking of editors, uh, yeah. what <clears throat> you guys have both turned in different, you know, multiple manuscripts. What feedback do you consistently get from editors after your first draft? Mm, that's a good question. Like, is there, is there something that you constantly hear back from them or regularly hear back like, hey, I would love to see more of this or less of this or you, you know, whatever? Uh, big R, why don't you take that one first? I've had, yeah, so I've had a really good experience with, with editors and the thing, so I always get more of a positive thing from editors, which would be not like cut this out. We, we don't really understand where you're going with this. What I get is I'll get like a highlighted sentence, which will, which will be like a concept that they just feel like I didn't flesh out and they wish I would have just fleshed that out. So it's, it's, it's something that I kind of did as a connector. And they say, no, 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 this should be like half the chapter. Why don't you just flesh this out, make the chapter longer, and then connect, and then connect it to your next point. So it's usually something that the editor almost like deemed as incomplete for me. And then I just have to add to it. So that's kind of the one I seem to, to get kind of, kind of thrown at me, leveled at and me. And that right there is an editor being good at their job. That's true. Because they're, they're picking out a concept that would strengthen the book and letting you strengthen it. They're not messing with your... They're not messing with anything you did. And that's I, – I appreciate when I get that kind of feedback from editors. Yeah, no, that's been good for me. I mean, again, only being three books into this whole gig, you know, unlike T, who's 30 books in, um, it, it, that's, been, that's been good for me. That's been good for me so far, yeah. 31, Ted, baby. Ted, have, uh, have editors given up on giving you feedback? Dude, they, they kind of have, which is great. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm really glad I'm at that, at that spot in my career. But no, I, I usually – the feedback takes one of two forms, one of which is – I love your writing. I'm your biggest fan. You know, take out the word douche and we're good. That's you right. know, don't use the word suck or crap. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's such that like some of my really good friends who have read most of my books have a game where they try to they try to pick out the words that the editors have changed for me. Yes. Um, like like the words that just totally don't sound like me. So I, I get some of that. And then I get on the other end of the continuum, the editor who is like, you know, Hey, I really appreciate what you've done here. Subtext, I can't say that I like it because I don't like it. <laughs> um, so they'll say things like, I appreciate your hard work, you know, on this. That's right. That's subtext, the, you just got the hustle award. Yeah, subtext, I hate your work, you know. And, and then they basically proceed to to say, like, we want it to sound more like Al Mohler. Yeah, but T, that, okay, so that's what's, that's what's fascinating because I've lived through that a couple times. Because your writing is not so uh, didactic, you know yeah. what I mean? It's not teaching as much. Yeah. I just feel like editors come in and they have a hard time like sort of getting where you're at. Yep. You know they're what like, I mean? They're so, like, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the story. Subtext, I hate the story. Right. Um, I appreciate the story, but where's the application? You Absolutely. Know, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, where's the take home? That's so funny because I – I tend to I, I tend to write lean in terms of uh, you know it's it's an editor's it's an editor's nightmare when an author turns in a manuscript way above word count you right. know so if the word they they, they want a fifty thousand word manuscript you turn it in at sixty five editors are not thrilled with that because they have to convince the author to cut fifteen thousand words that the author is clinging to if I, it's all about paper man right, they don't right. want to pay for the extra paper. 
Well, yeah, or they just, you know, whatever it is, it, yeah, yeah. it has as much to do with the fact that it's already listed on Amazon as 178 pages, and it, exactly. that would be 192 pages, and uh, that's not okay. Um, yep. But I I tend to turn in under word count consistently. I do yeah, too. likewise, likewise. And, uh, which means that the feedback I get from editors, while frustrating on occasion, is usually it's okay because it's telling me to add stuff. And adding, at least I get to put it in my own words instead of having them come in and rearrange things. But I consistently get, you need more stories. So one of my mm-hmm. least favorite things about Christian books is how every chapter starts the same way for every pastor who, who authors every book. Oh, yeah. It story. is personal yeah. story, connection, sermon. Personal yeah. story, connection, sermon. I mean, it's just consistent. And I'm like, honestly, I don't care about your trip to whatever the Honduras. Yeah. Your trip to Honduras. Well, that's the thing is, yeah, they, it, it, it's always drawing on their most extraordinary experiences or they're trying to make something out of the mundane. And they're like, you know, I used to go to the barber shop with my grandfather. And then they spent 70, they spent, <laughs> they spent 7,000 words describing how the barbershop smelled and the old men and the Coke bottles and stuff. I love that barbershop story, Al Mohler. <laughs> but, uh, and so I, I don't tend to do that because I write, I'm writing concepts and I yeah, just feel like yeah. I'm going to give the reader some credit. If the reader needs a story to get to the concept, wrong book. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they already bought it, so I win. But uh, Dude, and see, my whole thing is writing stories. Like, I just write the story and I don't write all the junk that comes and, after and it. And both so. of those, I feel like both of those styles should be valid because on the yeah. one hand, you're, you're connecting with the concept person. and the other hand, you're connecting with the story person. The reader should be able to take the leap to apply this. So for me, they should be able to say, oh, I can think of a story where that makes sense. For you, they're looking at it going, oh, I can take that and bring it into my real life or whatever. Dude, don't you feel like in general, and, and this may be like stepping on toes here, but I, I feel like Christian publishing has a really low view of the reader. Yes, absolutely you know what I true. Mean? Yep. Yeah, like 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 big T, we really gotta we really gotta make this explicit for the reader. And I'm like, you know what, the readers of this book are not stupid. Like they'll get it. You know, just trust me. Yeah, I when one of the points that I got pushed back on from an editor when I did help my unbelief was they wanted they wanted like thought questions at the end of the chapter. Yeah. And I just told them I'm not gonna do it. Like if people don't want to think about my book, they're not going to. And I'm not not gonna spoon feed them. Right, like they're right. either thoughtful or they're not, and I would like to give the reader some credit. Now, it's possible that I'm giving people too much credit, but I also feel like if nobody gives the readers credit, the readers are going to collectively get dumber. So yeah. we should probably try to stretch their brains a little bit. Or they'll collectively get offended and just walk away. You know, Or they won't um, be collected at all. Nobody buys the book. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's true. When I say collected, I'm speaking very small numbers of readers here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't have mass influence with my publications. No, I don't think anyone on this program does. We have mass influence with this program, though, boys. Mass, huge. So feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder when we're all going to co-write a book called The Happy Rank, guys. Just a thought. Dude, no, you know what it's going to be, Big R? It's going to be in like 30 years, and it's going to be the oral history of The Happy Rant. And it's going to be one of these 600 pagers. Written, written by Al Mohler's son. Yeah, just compiled by someone, and it'll be all these just random quotes about the the excess and the decadence. Well, and this, just- the people who do that are always like the the siblings or the children of whoever it's about. So, uh, Ronnie, I propose that your daughter is the one who does the compilation because she's she's a listener, so she's engaged. She's from everything you've said, she's yeah. very sharp. I bet she would. Uh, 
I bet yeah, she'd do a bang-up job. She's a good writer. She's an artist. She's listening right now. Hey, babe. So just uh, get on that. And start, I would tell you to start outlining it, but we don't do outlines in our family. And, uh, so tra- just start writing. Track down Calvinist Chewbacca because also an avid listener. Lots of interesting things to say in growls. So that there's a good starting point. And track down everyone who we've offended. <laughs> That's a longer list. Including Les Lanfear. That's right. Track oh, down Lord. every topic and every person that we've ever mentioned on this program, okay, Rachel you, Evans. You just brought up Les Lanfear, and I feel like I should throw this out. After, what was it, two episodes ago when we, yeah. we did the Calvinist documentary thing, Les contacted me on Facebook, is an exceptionally gracious person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so despite our snark... Les yeah. responded graciously, so I would like to. Uh, I would just like to mention that because while we can be very critical, I do appreciate people who have a good sense of humor and uh, and did not. I mean, no firing back on that. Uh, so, props to Les and and thank you for your very thick skin and good sense of humor. He's Les, a, you're a great dude. guy. We all just wish we were part of your your movie. No, we'll we, we, want, we want the rivalry with the Reform Pubcast. I think we should beat that drum a little harder and louder. Well, I want the rivalry, and I think the rivalry would best be played out on his movie. Oh, in his yes. movie. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Bingo. Sort of a Calvinist sectarian thing. Absolutely. Like, we can have in house, you know, debates, you know, like in house podcast debates. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we're more reformed than they are because we're less reformed. We're reforming know? the reformed, and we might even be reforming those who are reforming the reformed. So I think that makes us like the uber reformers. I think we're the most reformed three people in the world. Think about that. Rachel the Held Evans. Until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.